Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Brought to you by Active Iron on News Talk. Yesterday's programme, I spoke to Ailish and Michelle. They got in touch to share their experience of dealing with postnatal depression. And we had a lot of reaction to this. A lot of people got in touch on Instagram. They sent me an emails overnight. Um, Ailish and Michelle's stories really seem to strike a car- chord with a lot of people who were listening. The one thing that came up time and time again in your emails was that people just don't talk about postnatal depression enough. We don't chat about it enough. So we are going to do that today in the programme because, Gemma, you got in touch with me. Tell me about your experience. Yeah, hi. So um, after the birth of my first son, I suffered from postnatal depression and it wasn't really until he was almost three years old that I saw any help. Um, I really identified with uh, what some of the girls were saying yesterday. I uh, I remember waking up and just counting the hours until I would be able to go back to sleep. I knew that he'd wake up at seven o'clock in the morning and I'd start the bedtime routine at six. So that was 11 hours. And then throughout the day, it would be eight hours and then six hours and then two hours. And I was just going through the motions of life. I remember, um, you know, really sympathising when you you hear about mums who leave their families and you think, how can a mother leave their children, do you know? And I remember feeling like I can understand. I just felt like I didn't add any value to my family. And I honestly like didn't feel like I'd be missed. I just thought I was this dark cloud and I was just more of a hassle than anything positive. And then what really happened one time, and he was almost three, and I was driving into Dublin crying. And um, I was crying uncontrollably for no reason. And I almost drove through a red light. And I saw it at the last minute, and I slammed on my brakes. And I thought, oh, my God. Like, I have my son in the back of the car. There's people driving everywhere. Anybody could have been hurt. And I just thought... Like, there is really something is up. I just thought, this isn't me. I'm not the person that drives around crying. And that's not the person I want to be. So I made an appointment with my GP. And I remember when I talked to her, I told her how I was feeling. And one of the first things that she said to me was, okay. She said, you need to go and speak to someone. You can't do this alone. And hearing her say that was like, whoosh. I was like, Wow. Because that's what I'd been trying to do for almost three years, was just push through it from moment to moment and from day to day. And then uh, uh, she she gave me some referral information for a, a psychotherapist. And then she asked me if I felt like, you know, medication would help, if that's something I'd like mm-hmm. to do. And I'd sort of already decided in my head I wanted something that was going to help now because I felt like I want... I want my son to be safe yeah. with me. You know, you, you had that. Uh, that was the moment that day in the car driving to Dublin. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, and it wasn't like the first time. You know, my husband had sort of he was he's so supportive, and he sort of said to me, "Would I like to go to the GP?" But I wasn't hearing any of that. You know, and it was really that moment that I realised, like, this is not who I am, and this isn't safe. You know. So I ended up going on medication for about six to eight months and I did that in conjunction with psychotherapy, which went on for a a couple of years Mm. after that. Um, And the way that my psychotherapist sort of explained it to me is she used this bucket analogy. 
um, she was like, everybody has like a bucket of stress and a bucket of happiness. And your stress bucket fills up with the stress hormone cortisol. And throughout the day, it fills up more. And then, you know, when your uh, serotonin levels, your happiness hormones increase, that helps to relieve your cortisol levels. And overnight, your cortisol level drops. But because I was in a state of fight or flight, my cortisol mm. bucket was continually full and it was never being emptied. So that's what the medication okay, did yeah. for me, is it helped balance that out so that I could do the work that I needed to do to come back to who I am, you know? Thank you for sharing your story with us, Gemma, because I, I, I know that it's, it's not easy like, and, and to come on national radio and, and, and tell the nation and, you know, share your story like that. But, but I actually think it's only in doing that that others mm. listening will, who maybe aren't aren't aware that maybe it's postnatal depression or prenatal depression that they're you know that they're dealing with it it highlights it mm. to them and there's more awareness that comes from it how are you how are you doing now Gemma? oh yeah i'm doing really well i've yeah, since had good. a second child um and before my second i uh, really put in place a lot of things i spoke with uh the community midwives who i had both my pregnancies through the community midwives of hollis street and i couldn't speak more highly of them they're incredible um and so i spoke to them about it i made contact with the hollis street uh psychiatric team and they were incredible you know very under resourced but I felt like I was a lot more prepared and I had sort of, yeah, I didn't experience, thank goodness, the same, you know, feelings. Yeah, but as you say, you you had the supports, you know, lined up in advance and and I suppose it's it's about identifying what they are and and where to go and that's a big reason we're we're talking about this. Um, Tara Tara got in touch with us as well, Gemma, because Tara, your experience with postnatal um, actually led you to working with with pregnant mums. Hi, Andrea. Um, Hi, Gemma. How are you? Good. Um, thanks for having me on this morning. I was listening to the girls yesterday, Elish and Michelle, and I could so relate um, to both of them, uh, especially Michelle with the prenatal depression, because it's not very common. And this is where my downfall came. And uh, <laughs> it's a quite a vulnerable statement, but I actually felt very suicidal uh, with my thoughts in my second pregnancy when I was maybe about 32 to 36 weeks pregnant. I can't even remember around the time. Um, so it was like a prenatal depression, but I had no recognition of it at the time. But it was stemmed from a perinatal traumatic experience I had with my first baby. So when Owen was four months old, I was six weeks pregnant again. So obviously I was still in quite a traumatized state. And you know, it wasn't recognised as trauma or I didn't recognise it as trauma or perceive it as trauma because I had no awareness of what trauma was at the time. So I went into that pregnancy in that traumatised state, having all the trauma symptoms, which led to kind of postnatal depression and these really, really fearful thoughts I had about, you know, having a second delivery, being a mother to a second baby when I was already felt I was struggling with my first. So these thoughts started to come in like these catastrophizing thoughts, very black and white thinking, which would be all the signs of it. Um, But I didn't seek any support. I was extremely secretive, Andrea. I 
was secretive because I'm a nurse and I really thought it would impact my job. I would be judged by my friends. I had friends who had babies around the same time. I didn't tell them. I didn't tell my husband, even when I was awake in the nighttime, crying unconsolably and having these fearful thoughts. He did not know because I was afraid, you know, he would judge me too or he wouldn't understand or like I was so ashamed of these thoughts. I was so scared of them. I was so ashamed and so scared that I went into shutdown then after a while and I didn't come out of the room for two or three days and I knew then I was in trouble. So I... What did you do, I was, very, I was very selective. I phoned a friend who I knew wouldn't judge me. I, I picked a friend who I knew would not judge me, yeah, would not criticise me or would not think anything less of me. And I told her that I was in trouble, that I was having these thoughts and I was really scared. And she turned up at my door and I kind of explained then to my husband what was going on, but not really in great detail until later on, until I you know, studied all the trauma work. And yeah. I suppose then we kind of pieced things together. But it took me a couple of years to actually go and seek therapy. I did eventually seek um, therapy and counselling. Um, but it, it did take me a few years and we really hit a rough patch, you know, because when you're struggling with low mood, trauma symptoms or perinatal anxiety, it doesn't just affect you. It affects the relationship with your partner. It affects your bonding with your kids. It, it affects it affects everything. everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Everybody around you. Um, looking back, Tara, like, you know, you're, you're working, you work with people now, um, like, what services or what more services do you think? Like, how can we improve things? Number one, awareness. Like, having these conversations, it was just so lovely to hear Elish and Michelle yesterday talking so openly about, you know, their experiences. Because it is really hard to be vulnerable. And, you know, it is. It, is, it takes a lot of courage yeah. to come on and, and, and share your story. Yeah, because there is the fear of being judged and, you know, people thinking less of you or whatever. But it's only through this vulnerability and sharing our experiences that we can allow women to feel safe to share their story. And that's what's wrong. We don't feel safe with sharing our experience because of the way things are portrayed. And there is, you know, a portrayal in society that we should be selfless as mothers and really we're to nurture everyone. But that's what I try and move away from. I try and teach women that we need to nurture ourselves first. We are the foundation of the family. We are the foundation of what happens at home. And if we're not, you know, feeling safe and feeling well in ourselves, the foundation isn't secure. So, you know, I try to teach women that self-care is giving the world the best of them instead of what's left of them at home. And also, you know, I don't know if you know Mel Robbins, you know, she often says, like, no one's coming to get you. And no one's coming to get us really in motherhood, that we deserve to be nurtured. And the only person that's really going to do that is ourselves. Well, just on that, um, Aileen Hickey is is with us as well, Tara and Gemma. Aileen's the the CEO of Parent Line because you're sort of the, you're you're the national postnatal depression helpline, really, Aileen. Like, is that the case? We, We just in general, we just don't talk about this issue enough. Absolutely, Andrea. I mean, that's, that's, that's the problem is that I suppose it's surrounded by, you know, as a lot of parenting issues are by a sense of, you know, secrecy and a sense of shame. Women are unwilling to talk about it because I think, you know, the, the images 
put out there through social media and other media channels that, you know, uh, being a new mother is wonderful. But, you know, it, it, it's, and it is wonderful, but it's not wonderful for everybody. And it's not wonderful all the time. And it can be very emotional and can, can be very difficult. And the symptoms that, you know, I've described there by your two callers are what we hear regularly on the phone lines. So women are experiencing loneliness and um, isolation, uh, a huge amount of guilt, anxiety, inadequacy, exhaustion, uh, hopelessness. Uh, a loss of control. Uh, I, I suppose the message we try and put across is that, you know, new mothers need to remember, first of all, that this is something that's very temporary and that you will get better. But in order to get better, you have to seek help. And like everything else, it, you know, that, that depends on, you know, kind of um, early intervention and, and speedy treatment. And when I'm talking about, you know, intervention and treatment, I'm really talking about talking about it. So, you know, being open, you know, whether it's with a partner or the GP or a public health nurse or, um, you know, a professional counsellor or a support group. And there are many of those or ringing an organisation like Paratime, because sometimes all a new mother needs, wants to do is talk about it. And I suppose, you know, the huge bonus of Paratime is, first of all, that we're a national helpline. I think one of the huge difficulties for new mothers, and, you know, I, I have five kids of my own, so even from personal experience, is trying to get dressed and get yourself out of the door and get your baby dressed and get yourself out the door. And by the time you've got all that done, you want to go back to bed by the time you've actually reached the car or, you know, you've gone out for a walk. So, you know, I think, you know, the, the benefit about for Parentine is that, you know, new mothers or any mother can pick up the phone to Parentine. They don't have to get dressed. They can be in their dressing gown and they can talk get to the somebody advice. in conflict yeah. and without judgment. Um, Aileen, one of the points that was mentioned yesterday, and, you know, and I see it just from emails I've got from people in the past 24 hours, is it's often actually nearly recognising sometimes maybe that it's postnatal depression or even the awareness to know that you know before you you, you yeah. maybe go and get help or, or go to go to a doctor and yeah. one of the points that was made yesterday was that there's nearly or there's often a bit of a tick box um, exercise when you're leaving maternity hospital with your newborn baby you know about signs to look out for or where to get help if required etc that it nearly depends who you're um, practitioner is or what hospital you're in like is there a need for a wider campaign around this or why is there not a sort of a standardised yeah, 100%. And actually, you just, you, actually, you, you kind of hit the, 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 the knuckle on the head there, in, or the head on the head, but because really, you know, that, that tick boxing when you're leaving a maternity hospital is mainly about physical things. And, you know, has the baby had the shots? Have you had your shots? Have you got all this? You know, what's lined up at home? But, you know, it's, it's not about the mental end of it. And, you know, I, I think what people need to recognise is that there are three main types of, postma- of postnatal mood change. Now, baby blues, which is considered normal for most new mothers, and that really is most new mothers, and usually begins about two to four days after a, a baby is born. I suppose the significant thing about baby blues is to recognise that it's something that passes quickly, and the majority of new mothers get it. It might result in a bit of cheerfulness or feelings of vulnerability or weariness, and, you know, you're a bit more hormonal and all the rest of it. Um, but, you know, about one in seven new mothers do go on to develop symptoms of postnatal depression um, and so it might have started out with the baby blues but then it can get worse and it can develop by itself and I suppose again you know the, the, the symptoms to recognise is that literally you know everything is too much you know it, it, there's cheerfulness there's insomnia you know the, the callers over, you know, they're, they're overwhelmed uh, they're permanently exhausted they're irritable yeah, anxious no and actually the other thing I will say is you know, it, it would be good if every new mother, you know, um, antenatally recognised the risk factors for postnatal depression. Okay. Because there are risk factors yeah. there as well. Okay. And the risk factors can be things like a difficult pregnancy, 
um, or it can be a history of depression. Uh, it can be that the birth experience doesn't match up with expectations because I think a lot of women go in with you know, these, these birth plans. plans and yeah, they don't it doesn't work yeah, out. You, think, you know, exactly, like any kind of plans, or it could be a traumatic birth, it could be an unwell baby, uh, you know, it can be lack of family yeah. support or okay. isolation. And I, also, I'll tell you, one of the most significant things, actually, is that new mothers, they, they suddenly, there's an, an irrevocable change in their lifestyle and there's a sense of loss from their previous lifestyle and there's a sense of loss of freedom and that can be a difficult thing, thing to, to, to balance, absolutely. I, I, I do want to mention too just the um, the parent line number for anybody listening to us today. Um, if you want to get in touch there with Aileen, with parent line, it's 1890 Double seven, and also as well, just the uh, Samaritan's free phone number is one one six one two three. I want to thank you, Gemma and and Tara, for joining us today and, and sharing your own experiences with us. And Aileen Hickey as well, their CEO of Parent Line. Look, if you want to get in touch with us about this issue, because I'm happy to to chat about it. If you want to talk about it that little bit more, it's lunchtime live at newstalk.com. Lunchtime live with Andrea Gilligan. Weekdays at midday. Brought to you by Active Iron on News Talk.